It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmoke, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. Though we have a call on the line already, so the phone's busy. Keep trying. When he drops off, we'll take another call. You can also reach out at hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. You can just reply also to the promo post I just put up there or... Send it to us directly at Schmelk at Lance Meadow, M-E-D-O-W. Lance, second day of mandatory minicamp. Uh, not a whole lot, again, going on in the field because there are not, there are not any 100% competitive periods. It's all um, regulated effort in the team in 7-on-7, seven seven, so not a ton going on on the field. But we have had a couple days of press conferences, and the big one today, Saquon Barkley. And I guess we should touch on that. First of all, before we talk about what Saquon said to the media, I should point out, go check it out. Just post it up on the Giants huddle. The interview that I did with Saquon yesterday, it's only about seven minutes or so, but he talks about his recovery, his rehab, uh, and next season a little bit. So make sure you go check that out after the show's over, not before. Make sure you stay tuned in, of course, to Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants Huddle. If you go down the page, too, you can listen to the interview that uh, Detino did with Howard Cross talking about Jim Fossil. But, Lance, we did have Saquon Barkley talk to the media today, and the main takeaway has to be uh, no timetable. He will be ready when he's ready. Uh, sounds hopeful that it'll be for the regular season, but he would not say those words himself, despite being asked about it several times. So it's a process, and when he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and it certainly sounds like he's going to be sure not to rush anything. Yeah, he basically used the terminology one day at a time, multiple times throughout the course of his media session, and he doesn't want to lock himself into a specific timetable, as you hit on, and he's not going to circle a date on the calendar. He's working out before the team even gets on the field on a daily basis, and then he's monitoring from afar what the team is doing, but he feels as if there's not a lot of pressure that the organization is placing on him to get back on the field by a certain date, and I'd be surprised if they even tried to put him in a preseason game, depending on where he is at that point, John, in August. But I think what's important to understand, too, and Saquon somewhat alluded to this, he says he's about seven months out of surgery, if I heard him correctly, John, and the reason why it's seven months, because when you do the math, you say, well, wait a minute, he was hurt in the second game of the season against the Bears. Remember, Saquon did not undergo surgery immediately. They wanted to wait till some of the swelling went down until they actually took him under the knife. Well, so, remember, because there was damage to more than just correct. the ACL, so that, that, that made that delay a little bit longer than usual. Exactly. But the reason why that's important to note is because I think a lot of us, when we do the math, John, we think of, okay, this is when player X got the torn ACL. This is when player X got the Achilles injury. And then he essentially had surgery three days later. It doesn't always work that way because they sometimes have to evaluate. They may determine what options they want to take. And that's why Saquon is seven months out as opposed to maybe a few additional months because, once again, he did not have immediate surgery. So I think you have to take that into consideration. Another reason why he's not operating under a definitive timeline or timetable at this point. And just to be clear, I'm looking at the report right now. Uh, according to media reports, I don't think this was necessarily announced by the Giants. Maybe it was. I don't know. But according to media reports, the former Penn State standout had surgery on October 30th to repair a torn ACL and a partially torn meniscus in his right knee. Again, that was a report um, from last year. So do the math. November, December, and you can't see me using my fingers, but I am. January, February, <laughs> We're imagining it. March, thank you. April, May. So yeah, so you're looking at Great about... Great visualization. I know, yes. it's fantastic. Uh, you're looking at about seven months and 10 days at this point. And as you all know, ACLs aren't necessarily a 12-month injury anymore, Lance, but it's usually... 9 to 10, 8 to 10, depending well, on where you're Well, it varies at. from player to player, too. Right, and it depends on what other damage there is, too. So, to the point being, people have been calling, when is he going to be ready? We've all kind of said the hope would be for the start of the regular season. We don't know until that happens. That would be, if you do that math, that's about 10 months, right, out of October 30th uh, to the first week of September or so. That's 10 months and it'll change. So, you hope he's ready by then, but he would not commit to it, and the hope key is that you want him healthy for the majority of the season. So that means that he maybe, 
you know, starts on the physically unable to perform list at the start of training camp. I'm not saying he's going to miss the first weeks of the regular season uh, for six weeks, which is what the pup list would mean. But if he misses a few weeks of camp and maybe he's not back to week three and he's at super duper full strength rather than playing through something in week one and risking a re-injury, I think that's fine. I think you live with that, obviously. The whole key is that you want to get him on the field as for as long as possible consecutively. So you don't rush him. When he's, ready, when he's ready, he's ready. If that's the last preseason game, great. If that's the first regular season, great. If that's the third regular season game, great. But make sure you don't rush him because the last thing you want is a re-injury because you know how it goes, Lance. When you suffer a leg injury, you start favoring that. You hurt sure. a different part of the leg. You hurt the other leg. There's a million different things can happen if you try to come back too early from a lower body injury. Well, and the other thing, John, is you want the player to feel comfortable oh. when they're out on the field. Not that the medical staff would ever put a player in a precarious spot, but I, what I'm saying is he has to be mentally. confident in his leg. Yeah, no yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, you want to make sure that Saquon's to the point where you give him a carry, you put him in a position off a screen pass that there's no hesitation. He's not thinking about the leg. He's not thinking about the knee. And I think that's important too. It's not just necessarily where he's at physically, it's mentally. Does the player feel as if he could take X amount of hits? So that's why, and we talked about this all offseason, it's no surprise the Giants, as any team would do, you bring in insurance policies, especially if you don't know what the early stages of the season are going to look like. So they brought in Corey Clement, a veteran running back, who's been with Philadelphia. You made some waiver claims. You drafted Gary Brightwell. And then, of course, you went out and you signed Devontae Booker extremely early in the free agency period. So hypothetically, and once again, we're just reacting to what Saquon said. We're not in no way saying that he's absolutely not going to be available no, week one. No, of course but not. To your point, John, if the timetable plays out where maybe he has to miss a game or two, they at least want to feel as if if they have to utilize two to three running backs to get them through the first few games of the season, these guys are going to get work in during mandatory minicamp, during training camp. They'll get a feel for the offense because, remember, all of these guys are new to Jason Garrett's offense. They were not here last year. It was Wayne Goldman, Deion Lewis, Devontae Freeman. Okay, all those guys are no longer on the roster. It's not to say they can't bring one of them back, but the point is this is valuable time for them to get comfortable and acclimated so that if they had to be utilized with X amount of carries in the early stages of the season, it's not that bad of a transition to that department. Right, and there wasn't really much else other than it was you know really tough for him to watch last year. And my talk with him, Lance, he talked about watching how the offensive line and Wayne Gallman went on that run in the middle of the season where they rushed for more than 100 yards. I think it was six straight games, something like that. And he said it was exciting to watch. And he says, look, he loved seeing how that gap scheme works. He, th he told me, too, that they hope they can expand that and run, you know, incorporate some more outside zone and wide zone and, and things of that nature as well as he comes back. But he's very excited to see how that young offensive line played in the run game last year. And he also told me he's excited to grow with that young offensive line, right? Because that's part of this. You know, you hope that this is a group that if they do improve the way Dave Gettleman and the Giants organization and the coaching staff hopes that they do, this is a group that can grow together and improve as a group and individually together with Barkley behind them, get into a rhythm, and then you get into the mode that you were. Remember when the Giants had that great group? You know, back when they were first together in 2005, 2006, people didn't think they were very good. In fact, I think they got rated the worst offensive line in football before one of those years. But then the young group grows together. And all of a sudden, they become really, really good. And I think Saquon, at least in my conversation with, with him, again, you can find on the Giants Little Podcast, that he's excited to be a part of that growth with this group since all of them are just so young. Well, I think we were having this conversation a few weeks back when we were talking about the offensive lineman that Saquon has worked with consistently, John, since he came aboard in 2018. Remember, the line has drastically changed going back to his rookie year. Even a guy like Will Hernandez, who then was in and out of the lineup last season. So you're very hard-pressed at this point to find an offensive lineman that you could say, hey, Saquon's been on the field for a season plus with. All because five remember, starters could be different. All yeah. five starters could be different. So that right away is an example of how important chemistry is because the running back wants to get a feel for, okay, you know, this is the movement of this offensive lineman. When we run this play, this guy's got a quick first step when he cuts out to the edge and so forth. There's a lot of subtleties. There's a lot of nuances to football, and sometimes those things don't show up on film. It's more of... 
the observations that the player is making from playing behind that group. Just like Daniel Jones will say the same thing in terms of getting a feel for the offensive line, as well as the running backs, different running backs in terms of where you hand them off the football to, where they like it, and so forth. So all of those things I think are extremely important, but it's definitely going to be somewhat of a transition period for Saquon again because how much time did he spend on the field with Andrew Thomas? Barely anything. He got hurt in the second game of the season. And oh, by the way, I was looking up the date when you were going towards the media reports about October 30th being surgery. So the second game of the season was September 20th. So days. that means that was yep. a month plus after the injury occurred yeah, 40 in which days. he ultimately had surgery. It was 40 days exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's another reason why when Saquon's saying, hey, it's not as if, you know, I've had a number of months where I've adjusted myself from being removed from surgery. So, you know, once again, that's something not to be overlooked. But once again, getting back to your point at hand about the chemistry between the running back and the offensive lineman, you go down the list of all the offensive linemen that got the bulk of the snaps last season. They've barely been on the field with Saquon Barkley. So it's not a surprise that he would be looking to emphasize that in addition to returning from injury. Yeah, no question about it. 973-667-1960. Lance, the only other thing about the Barkley press conference, he's excited about having all these guys together, thinks the offense can be really good. I mean, what else is he going to say? Of course he's going to say that. Uh, (laughs) Nothing else jumped out to me about him. If they did, please bring it up. Otherwise, if you want to jump over to to Peppers and Logan Ryan, who I thought had had two very similar press conferences in terms of the stuff they talked about, you can do that. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think we pretty much covered everything from Saquon Barkley. As far as the other two guys, I mean, actually, one guy that I wanted to bring up since we were talking about the offensive line was Nate Solder, John. I don't know if you want to quickly go there before we move on to the defensive side of the ball. Sure. But Solder spoke really for the first time since he's returned to the Giants. And it was our first opportunity to hear about his mindset, also hear about what he actually did this entire past year. And he talked about how, you know, he had some weights in his basement. He worked out. He went through some, you know, pass protection drills out in the yard to try to stay in shape and so forth. And he's actually quite pleasantly surprised that he doesn't feel as if his weight is that far off from where it was when he left the Giants over a year ago. So I think that is a encouraging and his mindset is he seems to be extremely excited to be back with his teammates he seems excited just having an opportunity John that was the read I got he clearly he was asked about whether or not he has any inkling if he's going to realistically start or what his role is going to be he actually was quoted as saying I don't care whether or not I'm going to start or who cares essentially who starts as long as I'm a member of the team and you know he seems like he's embracing the idea of mentoring some of the young guys but also going out there getting back into the football shape that he's used to being in because he hasn't worn pads in quite some time and seeing where the cards fall into place. But I don't know. I guess my biggest takeaway, and once again, John, maybe this is me reading too much into it, and part of it is because we just haven't heard from Nate Solder. It's just it's got a different feel from him. I almost feel as if he's a happier individual, too. You know, just to maybe, once again, maybe it's just the product of him being back on the football field, but there just seemed to be a lighter Nate Solder that I sensed compared to the previous years he's been with the team. Lance, I agree a thousand percent. And I had a chance to talk to him a couple days ago, too. That's going to post up in the Giants huddle. I banked a bunch of interviews, folks, and a lot of player interviews coming up in the next six weeks. But yes, my immediate reaction from talking to him a couple days ago and then again listening him today, listening to him today was exactly that. He seems so light, so loose, so happy, almost gregarious, which, you know, Nate yeah. Solo was always a very nice and kind person, but he was reserved, right? Correct. I didn't yep. sense that reservation. And I think it goes to the fact that he said, he, you know, he basically has, has no regrets to his decision. It was important for his family. You get the sense that his family's doing well. And I think it took a load off him. He said he needed it mentally and physically the year off. He thinks it really helped him. And he said he feels as good physically as he's ever felt before. So, now, does that mean he's going to you know, be the starter somewhere? Who knows? I think he's going to work all over the line. Uh, basically, he was told that the best five guys will play it wherever they play. So, to me, you're going to see him work out. I, my guess he's going to compete mostly on the right side based on my conversation with him. So, because I think Andrew Thomas at left tackle is kind of where they want to be there long term. And it'll be a competition, and he'll have a chance to get on the field. And I really think he has a good chance to, to be a real contributor to what the Giants do this year. Because, look, has he lived up to the contract? You can make that argument. A lot of most fans will say no based on the production. I understand why people were a little disappointed. But he's still a solid, solid player. And to have a solid lineman in this league, it's a valuable thing. So if he ends up coming back and he looks like his old self and, and plays his normal brand of football— 
that he's played over the course of his career, I think he will definitely help this offensive line this year. Well, I've been emphasizing this time and time again. I don't think he could put any value on a polished veteran that you could have on the roster, even if he doesn't start, because once again, not that we're hoping anybody gets hurt, but we're not naive. There's a chance somebody's going to miss a game or two. And if it does come at one of the tackle positions, I think you feel pretty good that you'd have somebody that has experience on both sides, given the fact that he's going to get a lot of prep work on the right side, and also somebody that could utilize John as that extra tight end jumbo package offensive lineman. You know, they may find ways to get Nate Solder on the field, even if he doesn't start. But once the pads go on, I think we're going to have a better idea of where Nate is. Once we see him in a preseason game, that'll be further evidence. And I don't think anyone has a significant edge in that competition. Yes, Matt Parrott was here last season. But once again, Matt Parrott played 15 percent of the offensive snaps last season, which is very small compared to the other offensive linemen. So it's not as if he's coming in with a wealth of knowledge and experience over Nate Solder. Yes, he's somewhat familiar with the offensive scheme compared to Nate because Nate wasn't here with the team. But I think this is truly going to be a open competition come training camp and let the best man win. And you know what? Whoever doesn't win, you're going to feel good that you have somebody with experience, if it's Nate Solder, or somebody with still upside who got some snaps last season at the tackle spot in Matt Paird. So to me, I think it's a win-win for the Giants, regardless of who comes out on top. You're going to need a swing tackle at some point. Yeah, Last absolutely. year, the Giants were actually very fortunate. They were extremely healthy on the offensive line. The only they injury they really had was Will Hernandez, and that was COVID more than anything else. So yeah, look, you're going to need one of those guys. I'm with you. And I think a lot of fans wanted to you know, throw him out with the refuse heading into this year, Nate Solder. I never thought that was a good idea. I know you didn't either, Lance. So they worked it out with the contract. He said he was, he didn't say he was happy to work out the deal, but he said, look, I just wanted to come back to a place I was familiar with. So he was willing to work with the team to make it work. He seems thrilled to be back. And I think that's where we are with Nate Solder. All right, now let's jump to the defense, Lance. All right, we should hit Solder first. Good idea. Now, Ryan and Peppers, and the big theme for me for those two guys is just how much they love playing for Patrick Graham. You can just hear the way they talk about Patrick Graham when they're asked about the defense. Both guys just adore him and the way he runs his defense. Yeah, Peppers got very excited. He was actually asked about so many guys are in the back end of the defense, specifically at the safety position. He goes, how do you think they're going to make it work? Well, he goes, well, that's why we have Patrick Graham. It's so exciting because he always does find a way to make it work. And Logan, I think, echoed those sentiments last season also a lot of times when he spoke to the media. Also a guy that can adapt on the fly, is versatile, has played multiple positions. And that really is the common theme, John, that I think you were angling with the two guys. I mean, before you even bring in Patrick Graham to the defense, you're talking about two players that I think they embrace the idea that it's a multiple defense because they can be used in multiple ways, whether it's Logan Ryan at corner or safety, whether it's Jabril Peppers on top of the box, deep down the field, used as a linebacker, used in the slot, you name it. I think that they like the fact that it's somewhat of a guessing game every week, and you got to see what Patrick Graham has up his sleeve that he wants to reveal. So the excitement is still there, and I think the comfort level is there even more. Since now you're entering year two, Peppers was actually asked about this. How much more comfortable does the unit feel, especially the returning guys? And Peppers talked about, yeah, there's definitely that foundation that was not here at this time last year. And that's the same thing we could talk about, why we kept harping on Daniel Jones having the same offensive coordinator for the second year in a row. Listen, I don't care if you're somebody that's been in the league for 10 years or you're somebody that's been in the league for two. Don't tell me that it's not a little bit more comfortable to know that you don't have to go back to the basics at the start of an offseason. It is. It's a great luxury to have for any football player because you could get a little bit more technical and a little bit more detailed to determine what you want to do over the course of the season. So I think both guys are quite excited about that. And, you know, the other thing about Logan Ryan, he interestingly pointed out, and once again, I don't know if this necessarily gives a team a significant edge. I think this is just something that says a lot about Logan Ryan's personality and the dedication he has to the franchise. But he had mentioned that he's had conversations with Antrell Roll. He spoke to Jason Seahorn, and he spoke to Corey Webster, three guys that at once put on the Giants uniform and just wanted to sort of pick their brain 
what worked for them, why were their units successful, and maybe take away something that he could give to the rest of the team. I've said this multiple times, John. I'm not a huge believer that knowing the history of a franchise is going to help the current team. I don't think it hurts. I think people tend to make a little bit too much out of it. But I do think it says something about Logan Ryan that he, at least as an individual, is taking the time to hear from other individuals who have thrived in his position to at least learn about the tricks of the trade. And that I don't think is a bad thing. No, no question about it. No question about it. I'm with you. Um, and then we heard from the coordinators, Tay Lance. Why don't we wait on that? Let's. We have got people on the line. Why don't we take some calls? And if we have a little break in between calls, we can get the coordinators. All right? Sounds like a plan. All right. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. Hey, folks. Go out there and get vaccinated. Go to covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. And don't forget, folks, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go back to the phones, or let's start on the phones, I should say, and go to Marty in Manahawk, and he'll lead us off today. Hey, Marty. Hey, good afternoon, man. How you doing? We're great, Marty. What's doing up? Well. Uh, two things. Uh, I just seen a little while ago on NJ.com that they've uh, looks like their uh, joint practice is going to be with the Cleveland Browns out in Cleveland. And uh, of course, they uh, they talked about the uh, Odell Beckham uh, thing. You know how they'll be seeing him for the first time. And the other thing I was just wondering is if uh, anything has come out is what's going to be the uh, training camp schedule for the uh, public to go and uh, take a look and see what's going on. No. Um, no, there is not. Uh, until they figure out protocols uh, for the season, which have not been announced yet, and I get a lot of these questions, we just we just don't have any answers on that yet, to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, until the NFL figures out all these things, it's going to be very difficult to – determine exactly how the teams are going to be able to handle this. It's going to be different state to state. None of those decisions, as my understanding is, have been determined yet. And that's going to be something that we'll have to you know, figure out as we go. In terms of the Cleveland thing, I saw the similar report. The Giants have not announced any of that, so I can neither confirm, deny, or comment on that at all. Um, but would it surprise me, given some of the connections to to Cleveland? No. Of course, we saw the reports out of New England, too, that they were considering doing something with the Patriots, but the Giants have not, Marty, made any announcements on any of that stuff for training camp or the preseason just yet. Yeah, the only thing, John, that I'll add, and as you said, you know, the team from the Giants' perspective hasn't said anything. The only thing that I think is a little bit different about the reports with the Patriots is Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Browns, according to multiple reports, actually told reporters today during his media session. Yeah, so you think that's probably going to so, happen. <laughs> correct. So the fact that the opposing head coach publicly said that, I'd say probably there's a good chance it's going to happen. But the Giants, at least from their standpoint, they have not confirmed anything. But just to give you an idea, the Giants are visiting the Browns for maybe members of our audience that don't realize, John, the schedule. That's going to be the second preseason game. So it does make sense. So correct. So it would make sense that if the Giants do go out to Cleveland a few days prior, maybe have a few joint practices leading into the game. Very similar to what happened a few years ago when the Giants visited the Bengals for a preseason game. I believe that was when Tom Coughlin was still the head coach. Well, and, and even, even with McAdoo with the Lions, right? That's right, yep. McAdoo mm -hmm. with the Lions. Yep. So you could give that as another example, and they had that leading into a road preseason game. So this has happened before. Yep. Yeah, I, w I would have to uh, agree with that. And the, uh, the thing I did notice that was different was that if it was going to be with the Patriots, uh, we were going to fly up there and practice with them, and then the Everybody was going to fly back and play here at Giant Stadium. But with uh, Cleveland, it seems like it's just going to be practice and play with no, with no traveling in between. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're going to practice in Cleveland, that's, and, and that's where they're playing, so that, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the logistics certainly add up with respect to that one. Definitely. Okay, thanks, fellas. All right, appreciate the call. You got it. 973-667-1960. That opens up a line if you want to get in and chat about it. And look, Lance, especially with one fewer preseason game, getting those extra practice reps where you get true competition with other teams and other personnel, I think that does give coaches and front office personnel as they try to figure out who the final 53 is going to be a really good evaluation tool to figure that out. 
Well, and if I'm a young guy, I mean, I love the idea that I'm going up against somebody that I didn't line up against throughout the bulk of training camp leading up to that period, right? Because then coaches get an idea of how I react to something that I don't see on a daily basis, especially if I may not get a lot of snaps in the preseason game. So I guess the way that I look at it, John, is I think if you're somebody fighting for a roster spot or, you know, you're a bubble guy that's in between making the roster, practice squad, maybe going out on the waiver wire, you could also impress the Cleveland coaching staff and maybe have an opportunity for you know them to put in a waiver claim. So I think it's extremely beneficial for those guys. I don't know necessarily if deep down inside, you know, somebody like Kenny Galladay, the caller reference Odell Beckham, I mean, we don't even know how much those guys are going to take part in practices at that point leading up to the preseason game. So to me, it's extremely valuable for players fighting for roster spots on the back end because you get now even additional snaps, even though it's practice, you could treat it like a game because you're not going up against a teammate. So that's where I think it's extremely beneficial. 973-667-1960. All right, let's get it. Let, uh, let's get into the coordinators. We don't have a call yet, so why don't we talk about that a little bit? And usually, Jason Garrett, a former head coach who has mastered answering questions but not saying anything. I mean, no <laughs> one's better at that than Jason Garrett. I thought he actually gave us some really good information today, and I thought, you know, they kind of talked about what the next step for this offense is, and. I was happy to hear him say this because this is something we've referenced, I think, a lot when talking about the offense last year. And he said, look, going into last year, turning the ball over was a big problem coming into last year. And at the start of the year, it was a little rough, but it got much better as the season went along. And I, the way he talked about it, Lance, and the fact that that was the first thing he brought up tells me that was a huge goal last year to limit the turnovers and limit Daniel Jones's turnover specifically. And I think we've talked about that as being an underlying factor along with the young offensive line for how Jason Garrett called his games and how he coordinated his offense. And then he added on top of that, which is what we've talked about too, the next step for this year now is to continue to keep those turnovers down, but then be a more explosive offense. That was the second thing he mentioned, score more points. And I just think it gave a, the fact that the turnover thing was the first thing he brought up as a goal that they met last year with the turnover ratio, I thought was very telling. And again, I think it, it backs up what we've been talking a lot about in terms of how the Giants ran their offense last year. You want to stop beating yourself and cut down the mistakes first. Then once you do that, you figure out how to, you know, open, for lack of a better term, be, how about this, be a little bit more aggressive and take some more chances because you trust your players to protect the football more. Well, and then on top of that, he also played two games in the second half of the season without his starting quarterback, yeah, good Daniel point Jones. Yep. So, you know, I think that added to perhaps how he approached games. If Colt McCoy's at the controls, you know, maybe we're going to do things a little bit differently and so forth. But, yeah, that was one of my biggest takeaways. I actually tweeted it out immediately after I heard it to just provide some statistical context to what he was talking about, John, because if you look at the numbers, the Giants turned the ball over 22 times last season. Well, 15 of those turnovers came in the first eight games and they went one and seven. Then in the seven, then in the last eight games, they had seven turnovers. The team went five and three. So uh, Jason Garrett essentially summarized the entire season just using one facet because turnovers, we reference it on the show all the time. It's the biggest synonymous indicator of wins and losses. When you protect the football, you likely put yourself in a position to win games when you do the opposite. Most likely, it's going to bounce the opposite way from you. And that's why the Giants really had a tale of two halves within one season, really. They had the first half of the season where they struggled to protect the football. The second half, they did a much better job, Daniel Jones included. And as a result, they started to win some of those closer games. Now, injuries played a role, and there's a lot of other factors. But if you're looking for a big-picture perspective, turnovers absolutely played a role. Then, in terms of explosive plays, they had 36 pass plays for 20 or more yards. That was 31st in the NFL. The only team that had less was the Bengals, who finished with 35, and they lost Joe Burrow, of course, and didn't have him for the second half of the season. Now, what's important to note, John, is when you're talking about explosive plays— this is not necessarily – I know Jason Garrett didn't expand upon this, but my interpretation is when people think about explosive plays, they think about, well, you know, you want to throw the ball 30 to 40 yards down the field. I don't look at explosive plays like that, and the NFL doesn't measure it like that either. The NFL measures if the end of the play 
gets you to over 20 yards, then it's an explosive play. So, for example, if I dump the ball over to Saquon Barkley from two yards out and then he runs for an additional 18, 19 yards, that's an explosive play. So it's not just about throwing the home run ball. It's about also maybe getting the blocking up the field a little bit better so that some of your dynamic guys like Barkley, like Kadarius Toney, can then turn what seems to be a short gain into a big explosive play. That, to me, is twofold. It's not just about the long bombs down the field. 100%. And look, you just got to – it's hard to score in the league – without getting chunk plays. And we talked about this with the defense last year too, right? Where one of the reasons the defense was so good last year is that they prevented those big plays. The Giants, I think, were in the top five in terms of giving up 20-plus yard plays last year. They were very good at it. And as a defense, it's a goal. And obviously as an offense, then your goal is to get those plays. So the Giants were very efficient in their deep passes last year. I know we're talking about run after the catch too, but in terms of their flat-out passes of 20-plus yards, I think Daniel Jones led the league in quarterback rating on those throws last year, but there weren't a ton of them. There wasn't a high volume. Correct. Yeah. So you probably want to do that a little bit more, and if you trust the offensive line to protect more, then you can you know do more of that. But again, you get those guys like a Barkley, like a Tony, that can do those things yards after the catch. You trust a guy like Galladay to make a play down the field, maybe when he's covered a little bit more so you can have more faith throwing it to him down the field. And you put all that together where if you can trust Jones to make to get rid of the ball quick, to make the right decision for the offensive line to protect, then you can do more to try to get some of those explosive plays and combine that with the talent. That's when A and B are going to come together. So, And the also point that I thought was interesting with last year, how he really had to work the team into the offense a little bit because he didn't think he could give them the full plate to start the year because it was a virtual offseason, and he didn't get them on the field until August with training camp. And the offense grew in terms of even the volume of plays and schemes that they used over the course of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, remember, these guys were really new to the offense for the most part. You know, very few guys. Some of them came over from the Dallas Cowboys. He had familiarity, but it's understandable that, and this goes back to what I was talking about with Jabril Peppers and how everybody's a lot more comfortable with Patrick Graham's scheme. Well, you could say the same thing about the guys that are coming back over within the offense on the Giants. They feel a lot more comfortable with what Jason Garrett is asking them to do. And that means that sometimes you can be a little bit more creative. You could delve a little bit deeper into what you could get out of the offense. It's no different than when you go to school, okay? You don't jump right into calculus, right? You need the foundation within math. You need geometry. You need the basics down before all of a sudden you get into really expansive realms of math. So I look at offense and defense the same way. I think Garrett says to himself, okay, the foundation's in place. Now, how can we take this thing for a ride? And that's going to determine on Kadarius Toney, Saquon Barkley returning to full health, Kenny Galladay learning the new offense. So, you know, all of those things need to fit into place. But I think at least he feels good about between the offensive line, the returning young guys, and, you know, some of the tight ends of the wide receivers that some of these veterans can help be an extension to the coaching staff and get this offense to a level where you're not having building blocks put in place in weeks two and weeks three, and that there's a lot more comfort to be working with. And I think that could go a long way in terms of helping you win a game or, better yet, at least keeping you competitive within a game. No question about it. 973-667-1960. Folks, we have an open line if you want to get in, talk some Giants football. We can certainly do that. Lance, also we should talk a little bit about, unless there's something else on Jason Garrett you want to bring up before we get to Patrick Graham. No, I think we can go right to Patrick Graham here. I agree. He also talked about critical for us to control the line of scrimmage, which we obviously know already. So no reason to dive into that. And, and you talk about Patrick Graham and Lance. I thought it was interesting, and I've kind of talked about this, and I got the sense again hearing Patrick Graham talk about it, though he wouldn't necessarily tip his, cat, tip his cap definitively over the course of his media availability. The Giants are going to play more man-to-man defense this year. And I think... That became pretty clear the way he talked about how Adoree Jackson's going to help the secondary. Now, I think they're also going to be very, very cautious to mix in a lot of other things. But as Patrick Graham said, on third down, when the rubber hits the road, you have to be able to play man-to-man defense. And I think the addition of Adoree Jackson makes that a lot more of a feasible deal considering his history in the league. 
in addition to Aaron Robinson, I would yeah, add of course, as sure. well. I think mm-hmm. those two guys in particular. Yeah, when he was asked about that, he said, you know, listen, I don't want to disrespect anybody that was on the team last year that's no longer with us, but they did play a lot of zone, and that was well documented. And also, remember, they had the corner opposite James Bradbury, John. We talked about this all season, rotate essentially, right? Just because you lined up opposite James one game doesn't mean you're going to be the main guy the next game. Ryan so, Lewis, uh, Isaac Yadam, Julian Love. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, they had uh, Corey Ballantyne. It was, it was a million guys. Of course. So I think the Giants said to themselves, well, listen, if we're going to have a different guy, maybe it's better to just have a defensive zone scheme where you just fit a piece into the puzzle as opposed to leaving a guy out on an island. Whereas this year, okay, you named the Dory Jackson, you grabbed it free agency. I referenced Aaron Robinson, you drafted. Okay, Darnay Holmes now is a year into his NFL career. Okay, X-Man, you got a little bit more than you anticipated because he did play six games. Now he's going to have another offseason. So the comfort level, just like we we're talking about on the offensive side of the ball is at a pace where you feel good about putting those players in a position where you could leave them on an island or out there and figure that they can handle themselves one-on-one so you know Patrick Graham I don't want to give his exact words I'll paraphrase it but he said hey our defense we're going to tailor it to the strength of our players okay that was basically the major concept that he was preaching when he spoke to the media so if he evaluates these guys during practice and we've already seen what a lot of them could do in previous stints in the NFL or Aaron Robinson on film at college clearly they have a background in man-to-man defense so if he gets comfortable with them when he puts them into the defensive scheme here with the Giants why not allow them to do something similar that they had been asked for and then see how it goes at the early stage of the season but once again, John, even if man-to-man is the framework, knowing Patrick Graham, he's not going to abandon all the zone concepts. He's still going to mix things in because he wants to keep the opposition on its toes. But I do think that the confidence level and maybe more importantly, wording it, the consistency of the personnel on the field to start the game is going to be much different than it was where it was last season. And that allows the coordinator to be much more comfortable in saying, hey, let's play a little bit more man-to-man. Nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. Lance, uh, anything else from Graham that you want to touch on before we get to our phone call? Well, he jokingly was asked about when Logan Ryan talked that he wishes that they could put eleven defensive backs on the field. <laughs> At one point, Patrick Graham was asked about was Logan joking or are you actually toying with that? Because in all fairness, when you hear multiple defense, right, you think I wouldn't put it past Patrick Graham to try to put eleven defensive backs on the field. He certainly has enough, but he actually he countered that with a nifty line where he said, "Hey." I'm a guy that played up front. I was a defensive line coach. So, if anything, I'd rather put 11 defensive linemen on the field at once, not necessarily 11 defensive backs. So, I don't think we're going to see that unit be put on the field. But don't be surprised if he maximizes the amount of defensive backs that he can put out on the field at one point, especially since I think there's a lot of guys that are interchangeable between the safety and the cornerback position. No, I, I totally agree. 973-667-1960. Let's go back to the phone's call. You're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? How you doing, Emilio from Staten Island? Emilio, oh, what's up, man? What do you got? You guys. Um, first of all, I'm I'm so happy that they traded back. It's about time you did that, because once you get that draft capital one time, you set yourself up for multiple years to do that. Well, and I think also Emilio, he'll kind of see the the great benefit of having those picks next year and the flexibility it offers you, and then that makes you want to do it again too, right? Well, because what you could do now is you have that extra first round pick. Depending on what Chicago does, hopefully, you know, they go 4-12, uh, 4-13, and, 12, four and 13, excuse me, 17 games. And now you have a, an early pick that if there's a quarterback coming out, obviously we don't need one. Hopefully, Jones is what we think he is. Now you can hold up that pick for a ransom, and you're literally set up for years with draft capital. Well, you can also, when you have multiple first-round picks, the other thing that you could do is you could turn that capital into proven commodities. That's another thing I wouldn't rule out. I wouldn't get so caught up in using the picks on actual young guys. You could do what, for example, the Rams have done, where they acquired Jalen Ramsey. Or you see what Tennessee has done. I know Tennessee didn't give up a first-round pick, but they went out and they gave up draft picks to get Julio Jones. There's nothing wrong with thinking that way, too. Whenever you could prove to turn the unknown into the known, I think that's a good move as well. I didn't mean necessarily you have to draft young players. I said it sets you up for years. 
Yeah, now I'm not disagreeing with what you're... I, I wasn't but, disagreeing but with you, want. Emilio. I was just giving another option that you could do with that capital. No, yes, absolutely. That's all. I, agree, I agree with you a thousand percent. It opens up your, you know, what you can do tremendously. Whether it be, you know, trading for a young stud veteran, uh, drafting a young stud. It just opens up your playbook so much. 100%. Sure. We agree. And uh, what do you think this year? I think this is the year, guys. I really, really do. The year for I'm what? Trying to get that old that that old feeling back. They're going to take the next step. Defensively, they're going to be better than last year. I think the defensive backfield is is second to none, in my opinion. I think it's going to be. We just need the offense. We need the offensive line. The key this year is the offensive line. Look, we they agree. have to grow up. No, if really, they look, grow up. Big big blue is back. That's basically all I have to say. Thank you, Emilio. Appreciate the, the call, blue, man. Big Blue Wrecking Crew is back, baby. Thank you, my friend. Good call, Emilio. Thank you. And look, Lance, we agree. I want to get to the defense in a second, but first on the offensive line. Look, we all know that the two big keys, keys here, of course, the number one key is always staying healthy, but that's the same for every team in the league. But number two is the development of Daniel Jones, and I think we both agree that is very reliant on how that offensive line plays. So there are a lot of young players on there that do not have long-proven resumes. You hope they continue to improve, and if they do, that'll set this team up nicely. But yeah, there's going to be a huge onus on, on this offensive line. If they can play, all they have to do is to play well enough that the Giants' offense can function exactly the way Jason Garrett wants it to. If he is to start adjusting what he does because of the offensive line, that's when you have problems. When Daniel Jones gets screwed up with his mental clock because of the offensive line, that's when you have problems. If they are just, you know, average, middle of the league, that's all you need. If they can get there, it'll make all the difference. Yeah, but I think also to get there, John, we're talking about averaging almost a touchdown a game more than you did in 2020. And I think sometimes that maybe is a little bit easier said than done. So, you know, that to me is the biggest challenge. Well, I wasn't necessarily talking about overall production. I just meant in terms of, like, the offensive line play, if that can turn oh, into okay. middle-of-the-league no, offensive I, I line play, you, yeah. I think that's what you're looking for. Sure, yeah. I mean, you're looking for the quarterback to not have to feel as if he needs to run around in circles a few times in order to complete something. That's number one. And you want Daniel Jones's decision-making to not be a product of overthinking things at times because he's concerned about what's in front of him. So, yeah, that could easily throw off the timing of everything. But most important, it could throw off the decision-making of the quarterback because we even talked about this, John, last season. Sometimes, you know, Daniel Jones, and I brought this up on a recent conversation I was having on another show, I just feel as if he saw guys around him getting hurt, the personnel changed, and he just got that idea, I got to put the cape on, and I got to go above and beyond what I need to do. And when you do that, hey, sometimes you could do wonders, and you could really make miracles happen, such as some of the running plays that he did, where one of them in the second game against the Eagles, he actually ran in for a touchdown. I know the first one he slipped, but it was still a significant game where you could do something like that. But then there's other times where you hold on to the ball a fraction of a second longer or two, and you allow the opposition to hit you, which maybe forces you to cough up the ball, or you force a pass at the last second, the defense recovers, and it gets picked off. So those are the types of things, John, you don't want to see happen this season. And to me, the way you avoid those things from happening is, yeah, he's not putting himself in that position as a result of what's happening in front of him. So, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it that that unit you want to see, if you want to talk about get to the middle of the pack, if that's what you're referring to, John, then I'm completely with you there. And then when it comes to the defense, and I had an interesting talk with uh, Steve Palazzolo over at Pro Football Focus. It's going to air next week on the Giants huddle. And the thing about defense, Lance, it's something, if you look around the league year to year, it can change very quickly. A defense can become good and then become Absolutely. bad. It can become average, then it can become good. And there's not always obvious reasons why that's the case. Look at the Giants from 2016 to 2017. Was there an obvious reason the defense would take a huge step back? No, but it did. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but I do think it's dangerous to say, well, of course the defense is going to get better. We, we brought in the Dory Jackson. Well, for one, you lost Alvin Tomlinson, so that's a loss, okay? You don't know how healthy you're going to be. Again, last year the Giants were actually pretty fortunate with their health. They were healthy for the most part. Bradbury didn't miss any games. Logan Ryan didn't miss any games. Um, they did lose Peppers at, at one point, but, you know, they were healthy for the most part during the year. You know, can that continue this year? And then does the quality of the play change? 
you know, I think if you look at the opponents and the quarterbacks, I think the strength of schedule simply from an offensive perspective this year, as we talk now, three months from the start of the year, is probably a little bit tougher than last year. So I think you have, and this is something that I think, you know, Ben McAdoo talked a lot about as head coach, and it's one thing that he kind of talked to us about that really stuck with me and it rang true. Just to assume a strength is going to stay a strength is not always safe because things can change a lot from year to year. I'm a big proponent of that, John, so you don't have to sell me on that. Keep preaching, man. I'm listening. And give me more of it. Inject it into my veins. That's why I don't love when individuals, and I get it, and this is not to, once again, tell Giants fans they shouldn't feel good like the last caller, but it's to be a little bit realistic that you don't just pick up where you left off from a previous season. Because what is the one thing that the NFL is defined by? It's defined by competitive balance for a reason, so that you don't have the same four or five teams like we see in the NBA, John, dominate on a yearly basis. So that premise alone means that, hey, just because you got a taste of the playoffs last year, well, go out and prove it that you could do it again. And the Giants' defense, if we saw anything, remember, the first half of the season, it was a feel-it-out process. Second half of the season, I think the unit played a lot better. Okay, so you figure, well, now these guys are a little bit more comfortable, as we were talking about earlier in the show. But to your point, Dalvin Tomlinson's loss should not be overlooked. That was a guy that really helped stop the run. So who takes his place? Do you have any drop-off there? I've brought this up multiple times. Leonard Williams. Do you get another double-digit sack season out of Leonard Williams? Okay. Hey, we love what Leonard Williams did last season. But you don't just all of a sudden pen it in, especially, John, when Leonard Williams only has done that once in his career. So the point is, it's not saying that you're doubting it. You're just you're not taking it for granted. I think, if anything, the secondary... John, maybe more so than what the Giants are working with up front, less changes there, more additions, strengthening because of some of the personnel they brought in compared to the front maybe with who's that second pass rusher, does Leonard return to where he left off last season, and how does the run defense operate without Dalvin Tomlinson? A little bit more questions up front than maybe more so on the back end. Question for you, what metric do you care about more, yards allowed per game or points allowed per game? Which one's more important to you? I look at points allowed per game. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I have yards here, so that's what we're going to do. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Well, because I'm saying to myself, listen, you could go. Here's the reason why, John, and I'll then let you go through the numbers. You give up a lot of yards, you can be great in the red zone and keep teams out of the end zone. So that's the other reason why. Okay. See, I was thinking turnovers, but yeah, that's a good point because I think the offense comes an impact. All right. Well, here's what I'm going to do anyway. I'm going to list for you, and I can't write. If you want to write this down, you can. And just track for me how many teams are the same. I'm going to give you the top 10 defenses in terms of points in 2019 and compare it to 2020. And I haven't looked at this. I'm curious. Let's see how many teams are in the top 10 both years, okay? So what are you going first? I'm going to go 2019 first, okay? Okay. So in 2019, these are the top 10 defenses in terms of points allowed per game. New England, Buffalo, Baltimore, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Kansas City, San Francisco, Green Bay, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one more, Denver. Okay. Those are the top 10 defenses in 2019. So scoring defense in 2019. Yes. And Denver gotcha. averaged under, gave up an average of under 20 points per game that year. So 19.6. That's where the high end of that So was. that was the cutoff. Okay. Yes. All right. Now in 2020, and again, I did not look at this, so I'm just going through names. Top 10 defenses by points in 2020. L.A., Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Washington, New Orleans, Miami, New England, Tampa, Giants, Indianapolis, and that is 10. What is there, about four teams out of the same? Let's see. Or five. You got New England as a carryover, but New England dropped a little bit. From one to 10, right? Weren't they uh, one New to England, 10? no, they went towards, what'd they go, 10, yeah. 9, 8, 7. 1 to 7, okay. 1 mm-hmm. to 7, yeah. And by the way, that drop, they went from average giving up 14 points a game to 22 points per game. Wow, that's and that's a significant points. difference. Yep, just yeah. wanted to throw that out there, yep. Okay, so New England is one carryover as I look at this list. Baltimore is another one. Baltimore is probably not a good example to what we're talking about because Baltimore went from 3rd to 2nd. Nope, so. no, that's the same. They, they were steady. They were pretty consistent. And Pittsburgh, I think, was pretty steady too, right? They went from five to third. Yes, Pittsburgh didn't have that big of a change as well. So that's three teams, and coincidentally, all in the AFC. I don't know if there's anything to read into that. 
I'm looking through the list, and I want to say I don't find another common one, John, between 19 and 20. I think that's it. Those are the three. And Casey was 11th in 20. So they are kind of close, I guess. Okay, so they just missed out. They just they missed the it. Outside. So I'll throw out, just to be fair, I'll throw that out there. So guys, that shows you how much defense can fluctuate from year to year. Top 10. Now that's a pretty big swath. That, that's, that's 10 teams. I tried to pick a pretty big sample size, right? Only three teams that were top 10 in 2019 were top 10 in 2020 in points allowed per game. Well, and the reason why this is a good exercise, John, is because the Giants finished ninth in this department yep. last season. So, once again, we're just giving the counter to picking up where you left off. Because, for example, the Green Bay Packers were ninth in 2019. Now, I don't know if you want to look at, do you have your list for 2020 where the Packers, just out of curiosity, uh, finished look, in scoring uh, defense that up. this past season? Because they were in the 10, exact spot 11, where the Giants were a year ago. 13. Okay, there, they so gave not up, tremendous. They gave up 23 points per game in 2020. In 2019, they allowed 19.6. All right, so about four-point differential between the two seasons yep. for those. But it just goes to show you four points, which is you know a little over a field goal, hey, that could knock you down a few spots, and all of a sudden you play a lot of close games. That could be the difference between two additional wins or two additional losses. And it again, could add up like that. And again, those points, and again, maybe points was the better metric, Lance, because at the end of the day, it matters how many points you give up, not necessarily how good your sure. underlying defense was, right? You know, a couple of pick sixes, a couple of special teams touchdowns, a couple of, you know, your cornerback falls down or trips and a guy runs for a touchdown. You know, that can change your average points allowed per game very quickly if you just get a few of those, right? So... That's why the and, and the defense is it's such an eleven deep operation and I know we have a call I want to get to him. I think we should finish this conversation. And I think the reason the offense is probably more consistent year to year is that the quarterback position usually, you know, the quality of play is more consistent because the offense is more reliant on one person than the defense is. Because you do the defense, right? And you have nine really good players, but two guys that aren't very good, guess what? The offense can just target those guys. And even though the other nine are really good, those two guys are going to kill you. So it's just, it's much more of an 11-man unit type of thing. While I think the offense is probably a lot more dependent on your quarterback, and I'm not trying to downplay the importance of the offensive line. You guys know how strongly I believe in that. But it's such a, a team-oriented exercise, the defense, which is why I think, you know, just small changes and variances year to year can have a really significant impact. When with a team like the Chiefs, look, you might switch out a couple offensive linemen, switch out a receiver. You still have Patrick Mahomes, which is yeah, going to give you— Yeah, that's not going to drop off immensely. Correct, correct exactly. Injury. Right. Yeah. However, to piggyback off of your point, because you got me thinking, John, I'm looking at the carryover. What's fascinating about this is— you could say, well, New England did 2019 had Tom Brady. This past season, they had Cam, and clearly the offense fell off. I know the offense wasn't great in 2019 either, but it didn't drop the defense that far back, which is interesting. And then Pittsburgh. And by the way, not to mention all the opt-outs New England had on defense too. A lot of guys yeah. that they lost. Yeah, 100%. And then Pittsburgh is even more fascinating because Pittsburgh – had Mason Rudolph. Remember, 2019 was the year that Big Ben got hurt. Yeah. Despite that, their defense, and this is a big reason why the Steelers finished 8-8 eight and eight that season, the Steelers still had a defense that was in the top five the year that Big Ben got hurt. So that kept their head above water, and then Ben comes back, so the defense stays as is, but then they move up two spots and they go to third. So your point is well taken, where when you have a steady quarterback and your offense doesn't fluctuate that much, that could tilt the defense backwards or forwards because you're either putting too much on their plate or you're easing the amount of pressure that they're feeling on a game-to-game -game basis. Again, just putting it out there so fans don't say, well, we know our defense is going to be great again. We hope it is. We think it is. They have the talent to be. Do we know that's what it's going to look like on the field? We certainly do not. 973-667-1960. Let's go back to the phones. Call you're on the air. What's your name and where you calling from? Hey, John and Lance. It's Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Hey, I uh, got a question for you. You're is on that the thing that you just did, the that defensive points per per game, does that count uh offenses like throwing a pick six? That is that is that is points allowed. So yes, that, that that includes all points. That is correct. So it's not really totally what the defense has given up. 
So in other words, you can have a special teams uh, punt return. You can have two pick six, and it's and it's put on the defense. Correct. Well, just like uh, if your point. offense will benefit when your defense scores a pick six. Correct. They're going to give that to the scoring offense. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. And the other thing, just just what you guys were talking about, remember when, I think it was McAdoo's there, remember when our offense was prolific and we scored like 49 points in New Orleans and we had this great offense and we kept saying we got to fix the defense, we got to fix the defense. Then we fix the defense, and our offense yeah. couldn't even score. No, you're right. right. Next year, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it was just like ridiculous. So I think that was actually Charlie. I think I think that was the last year of Coughlin into the first oh, year yeah. of McAdoo, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was one, it, it, I, all I know is that our offense was one year was great, and then all of a sudden the next year it was, you know, terrible. So, you know, it can change. It can change just like you guys are saying. We don't know if the defense is going to take a step forward or not. We, you know, that's what we're all going to have to find out. And, uh, and, and the other point I was going to bring up, uh, you were talking about turnovers. In the first half, we had 15. In the second half, we had seven, I think you said. Correct. That was the breakdown. Right? Right? Yeah. And most and most of that, I guess, was on uh, Jones to a certain extent. Well, I mean, Daniel but, only had, I think, two fumbles and one interception in, in his final six games or something like that. I have to look. I, in fact, Charlie, keep talking. I will. No, look I have the list you. in front of me. Okay, Charlie, go I ahead. Can confirm please. it. Yeah, no, you were one hundred percent accurate. He had exactly two fumbles yeah. and an interception. Yeah. yeah. And that well, was in his final that, six games, Lance. Is that, that was correct? well. He had the fumble against the Cardinals. And then he had a fumble and an interception against the Cowboys. So it was just those two games within the final uh, eight games of the season, if you want to go. So that final far. eight games of the year, but but he granted had, but he, he didn't play two of them. Two of them Correct. Though. Okay. Yes, gotcha. So exactly. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. He didn't play those eight games, so he had two games where he did not play. Yeah, but Charlie, so, if you're only turning it over once every two games, that's that's very strong. Now, it's a small sample size. It's only six games. Right. So you have to take right. that with a grain of salt, obviously. But right. it's pointing in the right direction. Is my yeah, the point. fact is there definitely was improvement in terms of his ball security in the second right. half compared to the first half, regardless of whether or not he played every single game. Because to your point, you were saying, Charlie, that a lot of those turnovers in the first half of the season, the 15, were against Jones. And, yes, it was absolutely against Jones. I mean, not to hammer it home, but just to be accurate, he was responsible yeah. for the two – turnovers against the Steelers he was responsible for the two against the Bears he was responsible for two of the three against the Niners one against the Rams one against the Cowboys oh, one against God. Washington he was responsible <laughs> for two of the three against the Eagles and he was responsible for two against the Bucks. Well, and, that's and, the first well, eight and, games and by the way that's how it is for most teams the sure. quarterback yeah. always has the ball in his hands you know what I mean right right no that no it's true it's true I mean I just think that you know I just hope that you know we are going to and, and I, you were talking about Solder. I haven't heard the interview yet, but just the picture that you have up on the website, he's got a big smile on his face. And if this guy is mentally back and his body is healthy, I, I just don't see how he cannot beat out for he, he will beat him out. If, if they really say the best five guys, I think this guy's coming back to play football and to play well. And he feels free. He feels happy. He feels like, you know, I'm here. And I think he's going to be our right tackle. Well, Troy, i got to be I, honest I, with you. I have no idea how good Matt Pert's going to be this year. Matt Pert can yeah, come back in his second year and be great. Matt Pert can come back in his second year and be not very good at all. He didn't have enough consecutive snaps in any game last year where I think we can have a real good judge from the out. I'm sure the coaching staff does because they see more than we do. But from the outside looking in, I don't think there's a way for us to really be able to judge how good Matt Pear is right now, to be quite honest with you. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if we uh, see Solder at our right tackle. Well, Charlie, it would, would not surprise of... me either way. That's my point. I'm going yeah. in with a completely open mind on that. Yeah. And it would help. And it would help the uh, guard next to him having a veteran like him beside him. Well, so. the funny thing is that it would actually be funny because then Will Hernandez used to play next to Solder on the left side. So, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm serious. They right. might actually have some chemistry flip. next yeah. to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie. All right. 
Les, I feel like that is like the best Charlie call in a long time. Well, he was calm. He took his medication and he acted accordingly. Well, and, and, and he brought up somewhat of a relevant point. Yes, so, and, he, and he actually like used statistics to back up his point. That well, was, he that used was like, our statistics. Still, okay? come on, Sean. Let's not give him still? so much credit. He was asking us to revisit our earlier statistics to help him sell home his point. It's better yes. than inventing his own. No, that's why I said there was definitely progress yes. in terms of the phone call. So I guess he took a page out of Nate Solder's playbook. We talked about how <laughs> Nate Solder seems to be a new man, different outlook. Well, apparently maybe this is a, a turning point in the evolution of Charlie. I'm not going to go that far, yeah. but perhaps that's it's a very, possible. That, yes. to, to use our language, Lance, that is a very small sample size to base that Extremely conclusion. Extremely small <laughs> sample size. Yes. So I wouldn't be, you know, to use your words, John, I wouldn't be surprised if we go back to square one or we maybe make a baby step on a future program, okay? It can easily go either way. All right, Let's we, put it that way. Another person called in right away, Lance. I want to try to squeeze him in before you say goodbye. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is uh, Martin from Altoona, Wisconsin. Martin, I didn't know. I, I knew there was an Altoona, Pennsylvania. I was not aware there was an Altoona, Wisconsin. Yep. yep. Where is that? Is that near Madison, Milwaukee? Where is that at? Yep. This is near Eau Claire County. It's like an hour and a half from from Minneapolis. So I'm an hour and a half from where the Vikings play. I got it. All right, nice. Ah, okay. So yep. are you a T Wolves fan or a Bucks fan? Ooh, good question. I am a New York diehard Knicks fan. I was oh man, even worse. Okay. Great. Well, I'm not even gonna <laughs> I got nothing to add to this conversation. Well though though let let's I'll tell you, I'm not sure many people bragging about being a Bucks fan right now, the way those No, well, well that's why I asked. Up. I asked whether he was a Bucks fan for that very reason, yeah. because I thought maybe there would be some relevancy to a team still alive in the playoffs. How about that? Okay. So yes. What do you got, Martin? Oh I I gotta mention something that, ha and if I'm off topic, I I apologize. No, that's okay. Go ahead. That's fine. My kids. Um. So last week, I, I just want to give a goal, a bold prediction, and it's inspired by uh, Charlie. It's oh, inspired boy. by Charlie. Believe it or not, here's why. God bless okay? you, sir. <laughs> yep. Here's why. <laughs> so last week, Paulie went on a rant because of certain things that uh, made that Charlie made him upset with, with in regards to Daniel Jones, if we all remember, okay? So I tried to get on the phone, which was almost impossible. Because my blood boiled as his was boiling at the simultaneously. So my bold prediction is this, is that Daniel Jones will lead the NFC East this season, this upcoming season, for sure. That is my bold prediction. Well, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Lead him in what? You got to yeah, give me what? a category. You got to be more you gotta give me a category. Passing yardage. Okay. Passing yardage. Got okay. It. That's perfect. That's number one. Okay. That is inspired by Charlie. Thank you very much. Uh, all chips in the, in the table. Okay. In the middle of the table because of that. Now, my next, pr not bold prediction, but prediction is uh, take, we'll take that number two inside linebacker spot next to Martinez. Now, I'm, I'm not a, a professional NFL scout, but I wasn't a real league scout. Now, one thing I did learn when I was a real league scout, learning from the NFL scouts, is you cannot replace speed. That's true. I, 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 I think he's going to beat out the guy from, uh, what was it, Detroit. Yep, Detroit, uh, Reggie Ragland, yep. He, he's, he's a tough guy, but he'd be a great two to Martinez. I really, I really think so. I think Tate Grotto wins that. You can always slow a guy down, but you can't speed him up to get to the ball. I agree more, and I think if you look at skill sets that complement each other, I like how Crowder complements Martinez more than how Raglan does. I'm with you on that. Right. And especially with the amount of speed and how the game has, has evolved in terms of a passing league, uh -huh. you've got to be able to have guys that can cover. You just do. And Reggie Raglan does not. That, sure. is, that is correct. Right. So I think he'd be a great two to Martinez. I think in situations... Ragland gets a lot of playing time, but does but does not win the job. The last thing I'll say is is this: I am really excited for not a particular player on the team, but a coach, and his name is Jason Garrett. So many people have thrown him under the bus because of his offense, and what they don't understand: if you're asked to make a big time meal with when you only have ramen noodles to do it with, it's not going to happen. Okay. People don't understand that he had little tools to deal with. Now he does, and I'm really excited for Mr. Jason Garrett this season. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people this season. Martin, thanks, Good man. Call. I appreciate the call, dude. <laughs> All right. Good All stuff, right, man. 
I was going to say, you know, some college students would be happy with ramen noodles and a little water. I was so. going to say, well, I mean, I, I, I've had some delicious ramen. I mean, there is, there is some, yeah. there is some designer, for lack of a better term, some, some so lack of a better word, some gourmet ramen out there. And I can't think of the place, Lance, on Midtown, West Side of Manhattan that has just the best ramen in the city. And I cannot think of the name of it. Ah, it's killing me. But there is a lot of good ramen out there now. So just saying. Yeah, so to each their own in terms of yes. that. But his point yes. was well taken. I mean, I understood where he was going. The only thing I'll add is, and this is even when the Giants hired Jason Garrett, for people that you know constantly put him under the microscope, just look at where the Cowboys' offense is ranked during his tenure. I mean, my goodness. You'll see that. I mean, they pretty much were consistently good <laughs> from a statistical standpoint. Just look at the numbers. So now he's got new personnel. He's hoping to do the same, but... You know, sometimes that doesn't happen overnight, and it didn't help that you didn't have a lot of the same guys in the lineup because, unfortunately, Barkley and Shepard were hurt very early in the season. So now, again, now with some new personnel, time will tell. Yeah, to our point, look, he did have Tony Romo and Dak Prescott in Dallas, which helps that Absolutely. endeavor, yeah. and we got to see if Daniel Jones can become as good as those two guys. Then we're rolling, right? That's well, I guess want. my point was, John, it's maybe don't just look at the play caller, but look at the personnel and the level of execution. I guess that's what I'm getting at because, yep. to your point, yeah, when you have Dak Prescott and Tony Romo, the quarterback, it changes things. Well, when you give that coordinator the proper personnel, he's capable of taking it to the next level. That's my point. And look, but he, it's all based on the player's execution, period. And he, and he has the personnel this year. It's the second year in the offense. Assuming the offensive line is in a sieve, all the boxes should, in theory, be checked, depending on health. But it looks like the pieces are in place, so I think this will be a real telling season. It'll be fun to watch. Lance, Absolutely. good stuff, my friend. You got it. This was fun. Tomorrow it is Lance and Feagles. Well, it's right? actually it's Paul and Feagles. Oh, is it Paul yes. and Feagles tomorrow? It is Paul and Feagles. That's right. Oh, and then Friday it's yeah. me, you, and Feagles, correct, if I'm not correct. mistaken? That is awesome. correct. So make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite Partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. And again, if you weren't listening earlier, folks, just a reminder on the Giants Huddle podcast, I had to put two up on the same day, which I don't love to do, so don't miss one. Uh, first one is Howard Cross talking with Paul Dottino about Jim Fossil, who passed away yesterday. Uh, that was, of course, a tragedy, and Howard was coached by Jim Fossil, so great stories in there. Make sure you go check that out. And then I also put up my six-and-a-half-minute, seven-minute interview with Saquon Barkley. Uh, I know we talked to the media today, but we did touch on some other things as well. So make sure you go listen to that. It's a quick one. It's an express version. So you got a little quick you know, trip to the grocery store. You need to fill 10 minutes. It's a good way to do it. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're back tomorrow again at 3 as we wrap up Mandatory Minicamp.